It's November 9th, 2020, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks podcast. I'm Matthew. And I'm Larry. And we're your friendly neighborhood architects being as geeky as we want to be. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for joining us once again. We are getting into fall, which means... My front yard that we raked on Saturday is now completely covered in leaves again. Yay. Aw. I, I always like just leaving all the leaves out there till the end of the season. It's very colorful. Yeah, well, we, we needed to clean the gutters, and we thought, okay, you know, we'll get the gutters cleaned out, and we'll go ahead and rake the leaves that are out there. And I kid you not, by the time we, we got done, and maybe an hour later, the gutters were filling up again, and the yard was starting to fill up again. I'm like, well... You know, it was fun while <laughs> fun while it lasted. But yeah, it's it's just that time of year. James went running this morning and he said because he because he, he used to run on the sidewalk until he tripped and now he runs in the street. And he said it was like running through just piles of leaves in the street. They weren't even, you know, off to the sides, they were just everywhere. So the whole whole morning was just sort of crunching through all these leaves on the street. But anyway, well, uh and so it's it's officially, I guess, fall. And for the podcast today, what we wanted to do was was actually do a, another Q and A podcast. I think we've done one of these before. Yeah, one or two. I, I I can't remember off the top of my head what the last one was, but yeah, it rings a bell. Okay, well, good because because we're we're gonna do another. Uh, but this one actually is brought about by the Fall Quad Conference, and for anyone who has any idea what that is, good for you. For those of you who don't, it's the American Institute of Architecture Students annual, well, not annual, I guess, well, annual conference. They do actually four of these conferences a year, the two in the spring and two in the fall. And I was slated to speak at the one of the fall conferences in Oklahoma because I was close by, essentially. <laughs> the, uh, the practice management knowledge community, the, the leadership group, had wanted to connect with the architecture students, and this is going to be one of the ways to do it. And since I was the only one west of the Mississippi, they're like, well, you go do the do the one up in Oklahoma. That'll be fun. And it was all going to be in person. And then, of course, it became virtual. So I ended up doing one session on LGBTQ representation in architecture. And then I set in on a coffee chat on uh, Saturday morning, the first session Friday, then Saturday morning was a coffee chat. And it was really, it was, it was fun. I, I had a good time. I think I had a good time. I had more fun on my session you know, it was the end of the day on a Friday and everyone's kind of punchy. And so it's a little more fun. They, but there were some really, really good topics discussed on the, during the coffee chat. So we've, we've kind of pulled some questions from both of those. And that's what we're going to do today. Just throwing some, some, some ideas out there and sort of seeing what everyone thinks or seeing what me and me and Matthew think anyway. And we're going to just jump right off into it. So the first question, and this is one of those questions that I, I always think of as an interview question. Like you're sitting there and they're asking you about you and what, what you, you know, what you do and, and what do you think about this and whatever, whatever. It's been so long since I've interviewed. But this is one of those questions that you just want to roll your eyes at. But here it goes. If you could visit any time period, when would that be? Would you go to the past or would you go to the future? And would you be doing that because of architecture? 
And so, Matthew, I'm going to let you answer this one first because I, I know what I'm, I'm going to say, but I'm interested to see what you have to have to offer. So I would definitely say future for me. I, I would love to fast forward 100 years for primarily two reasons, and, and both of them kind of sort of have to do with architecture. We'll see. Uh, but first, I would love to see the, the new technology that we have integrated with buildings. Uh, if you told someone in 1920 that we would be living in houses with AI integrated into the HVAC systems, HVAC systems, ugh, I'm thinking nest here, uh, with roofing tiles that supply electricity to the house and with pocket supercomputers on our nightstands, I think the average person back then wouldn't believe you, you know, fast forward a hundred years and well, that's where we are today. And so I'd really love to see where all this goes, just, just the, the natural progression of technology and how it gets implemented into our daily lives, whether or not, I'm, I'm not sure whether or not that actually falls into architecture or not, but I, th- I think it would. But secondly, I'd like to see, if we actually do solve the problem of climate change, the way I see it, it's the biggest design challenge of our generation that will take the coordination of the whole world to figure out. And I'd love to be able to pop back into the present and know that eventually we find a, we found a way to, to control it. Okay. Well, I think, I think that's, that's a, I, I think that's actually a, a, really great answer because there is that question of what does technology become for us because we are so it is getting so absorbed into everything we're doing now and it's definitely architecture because it's it's becoming part of building systems integrations and even our homes and and so yeah i think it's definitely part of architecture now the funny thing is or funny to me is you know you're wanting to jump 100 years into the future and honestly i would love to go backwards about 100 years and really my big thing would be to go back around the turn of the 20th century. So late 1800s, early 1900s, back when New York, Fifth Avenue on New York was filled with these really incredible houses. You know, you get on Fifth Avenue and it's just these these beautiful mansions that are, um, I, I don't know. I just, I just think there's a part of me that would love to see it because you look at New York now and how much of that has just been completely wiped off the map in New York because obviously real estate. Uh, and there are still a few of these houses left, but it would be really great for me to be able to see to see some of this. And, and part of that, too, is driven by the fact that one of my favorite books is The Age of Innocence. And it was written, set in the period, I guess written in the early 1900s, but, but set in the period right around the, the last couple of decades of the 1800s, back when this was normal, when when one of the the society matriarchs had built her home in what they called the wilderness adjacent to Central Park. So she she was somewhere way up where no one ever thought anyone, I guess, would ever be building anything. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And and the descriptions of these houses just fascinated me. And 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 so I thought, you know, for me to go back and see that architecture and see how that was really presented and how fifth Avenue looked. I think that could be a a lot of fun. I don't know that it would, it would really gain me anything, um, you know, as, as far as 
for what what's happening in the present. I don't, I don't know. Just to me, it's one of those things. I think between that book and the architecture described in it and the houses and then knowing how New York was at the time and, and it all just sort of kind of came together. So that's kind of where I am. So not so much futures as, as past. Hmm. Okay. Well, that kind of ties into our, our second question talking more about the future of architecture and it is what is something you wish you could change about the future of architecture? Mm, The future of architecture. Honestly, I really don't know. There's a part of me that would like to see architecture in some ways revert back to revert back to hand drawing, revert back to a more art form so to speak you know we've, we've gotten very used to technology doing so much for us um, that i think we've lost some skill during one of the discussions over friday and saturday someone brought up that hand drafting is becoming an art form because nobody does it but even more so one of the guys commented that his perspective on architecture has changed because he's gotten so used to doing modeling that computer renderings that doing it any other way, I think is, has changed how he views it, changed how he, he looks at how you create maybe. So for me, if, if we could go as, you know, in the future of architecture, if we could in some ways revert back to that skill set, part of me wonders what it would do to the industry as a whole you know, would it change the way buildings look? Would it change the way we are approaching how we really create things? So I, I think for me, that's that's really kind of kind of what I would I would like to see. I think. Wow, your version of the future of architecture is is maybe taking a step back. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I never thought I'd, I'd find myself saying that, but but also a lot of the discussion on the weekend over the, these two sessions, they really did talk a lot about technology, and it just really, I guess, in a lot of ways, kind of just got me thinking. But but that's me. So so, what would you change about the future of architecture? What would be the big thing for you? Um, on this question, I was kind of torn between two answers. My my primary inclination would be to change uh, zoning regulations across the U.S. to encourage more walkable cities because the archaic zoning laws we have here have really led to a lot of sprawl, so much so that the U.S. is almost 100% reliable on cars if you don't live in a place like New York City. And during this pandemic, a large part of the population started working from home, which has led to a decrease in traffic, but it's also meant that we've all become much more familiar and dependent on our local neighborhoods and and just the local infrastructure. Fun fact, go go visit our last podcast, uh, Rediscovering the Neighborhood, where we where we talk about walking walking the neighborhood. But so that's a separate side note. But to me, it has really impressed upon me the importance of adding more diverse slate of just adding adding more diversity to the neighborhood because what most people see is 
you're walking through endless streets of private houses, which are of no value to anybody walking on the sidewalk unless you know the people living there because then they could invite you in and hang out or whatever. But why don't we instead start adding thing, adding buildings and parks and other pub, public goods to your local neighborhoods that are worth walking to rather than just private house after private house after private house, which you can't do anything with anyway. So I, I would, I would, like to see a lot more reinvestments in in local neighborhoods to encourage more walkable cities and and shorter distances so that we don't necessarily have to rely 100% on cars. And I think zoning regulations would be a a really good place to start in that regard. The second thing I'd like to change, it would maybe be the, the materials we specify in our buildings to be carbon neutral at worst and carbon positive at best. Materials production is a huge source of CO2 emissions. 8% of the world's carbon dioxide pollution comes from the production of concrete alone. And if we could make the switch to specifying carbon neutral materials or, or even finding alternatives that produce less or no emissions, it would make a huge difference in the world from, a, from the perspective of both global warming and pollution. That, that, that those were those would be the two things that I, I would see changed within the field of architecture. I think that's a perfect, perfectly uh, architect geek kind of answer, uh, because who thinks of zoning? No. <laughs> 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 but but no, I think that's that's good. One of one of the things that caught my eye um, listening in on the on the discussion uh, this weekend was that one of the people mentioned collaborating outside of the field of architecture, that, that we are collaborating more with other industries. And probably, you know, part of this may be the thing about the, the construction materials is that we are in more collaboration with the manufacturers, with the people who are producing the product so that we can actually have a, have a bigger impact perhaps. I don't know. That's, that's a, uh, that's certainly, I have to say your answer is um, much more for forward thinking <laughs> than mine was. But either, either way, um, spe- and speaking of forward thinking, I guess, we're going to go on to question number three, which is, at what point do you feel like you're no longer keeping up with technology? And honestly, I don't know. You know, actually, no, no I, I think this is the year that I realized I hadn't been. Because um, I have avoided any 3D modeling work for as uh, basically almost as long as humanly possible. No 3D software. I'm not interested in it, whatever. And with the pandemic this year and the little bit of work slowdown that happened, I was like, oh, you know what? I finally need to learn how to do 3D modeling. I need to give me a program and just learn how to do it so I can actually, you know, there's some usefulness to it. But at the same time, I'm I'm now this one program, and do I now go on to the next program, or is it going to be too challenging to learn? And and yeah, I, I think I, I don't know at what point um, I'll finally feel like I'm not keeping up. Uh, you know, maybe I am already there, but I do know that uh, you know I still know how to set set a VCR clock and the and the clock on the microwave. Still know how to read a wristwatch. So, you know, not the digital kind, the one with actual hands. Uh, 
but uh yeah i i I don't know what point it's going to feel that way and and i'm and perhaps if if there's a point where i am the firm leader and there's you know 10 people underneath me and i stop worrying about technology and that may be part of it that that i simply stop worrying about the technology and let the people underneath me deal with that and at that point probably is when it's going to be like oh yeah I'm, i'm not keeping up with this you guys handle it and I'll just go along with whatever's happening. As long as my iPhone works, I'm a happy man. Yeah. I tend to feel like a lot of architecture firms really want to express their interest in, oh, we're, we're, we're integrating all of our projects into Revit or, you know, you've got to know Bluebeam because it's the latest PDF editing software that, everybody's using in the field or there's always some piece of software that every firm would like you to know because that's what they think puts them i guess fashion forward in, in in the technology race but when it when it really comes down to how do you actually produce your drawings i would still i would still bet you most offices still have autocad they still work primarily in 2D and, and, and still enjoy the flexibility that working in 2D gets you, despite, despite all of their advertising to the contrary. They, they can say, oh, yeah, we're moving to Revit. We're, we're doing all this. We're becoming a, a, a fully BIM-integrated firm and no paper and yada, yada. But it seems to me like we're still, we, we still want to. We, we still want to be what we still look to the things that are comfortable for us. That's that we have used in the past. That's easy to use. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that's kind of, kind of where that's going. That, that idea that, yeah, we, we can be all these things. We can be the most up to date on the software, this software, that software, whatever, but the reality is, is we're going to always fall back on what's probably more comfortable for us and and follow that that sort of logic. But do you think there's a point for you where you're ever gonna feel like you're not you're not keeping up? And you know, of course, you have your, you know, your e-reader where you t- take all your notes and you do your sketches and things and stuff like that. So you are in that sense a little more forward thinking than I am. But do you think that you'll hit a point where you're suddenly feeling like, oh wait, what are you talking about? I, I don't have no idea what software you're talking about or what what this is anymore. Yes and no. See, I, I personally love integrating all new kinds of technology in with my into my workflow, but at the same time, I'm still working in AutoCAD. So you know, what does that tell you about me? I. <laughs> I think I think there will be a point some t- sometime in the future where it will probably just get to be too much and I will because I'm also a creature of habit I will just revert back to what I know and what is comfortable and what what gets the job done at the end of the day that that's that's really what it boils down to and and I think I think there will be a point not right now but within the next 20 years or so where I could, will definitely say, 
okay, this might be a bit much. I'm just going to stop here and then let the next generation kind of take over. But for the moment, I'd like to think I'm on the, not the leading edge of technology, but I'd like to think that I'm keeping up with it. Okay. Well, I, I think that's fair. I mean, it's, it's, and I think a lot of people are probably in that boat of just trying to keep up the, the, some of the students who were talking when we were talking about this and they were talking about technology sounded almost like they were technology out. Like there was simply too much, even at this stage in their lives, you know, they're, they're 22, 23 and they are, there's just too much technology, too many things to learn. And they really would like to be able to focus on one thing or two things and not feel like they have to be responsible for an entire myriad of, you know, just this giant, giant chunk of new technology when they could actually really focus on one or two pieces and be really, really do really well at that. You know, and the, the firms are expecting them to excel in so much in that regard when they really want to be able to focus on maybe a couple of things. So for me, I thought that was, that was an interesting tell that, that, even the students, even this generation are, you know, maybe they're not too far where they're going to hit a point where they're like, you know what, I'm, I'm done with all this and I'm not going to try to keep up with all that. This is where my attention is going to go. And, and that's just how they're going to move forward. And, and I would think that that may be slightly unrealistic, just, just, just from my perspective, because if you think about what you have to do to run a business especially any business it could be architecture related or not but you have to there's marketing that you have to be at least familiar with there's you have to be a decent communicator to to get your ideas out there for people to to know that you're there that you, you have to produce whatever you're whatever it is that you're doing so within your industry so if if it's architecture you know you still have to be able to do the 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 daily AutoCAD, Revit, whatever, whatever your firm's using. And then especially if you, if you decide to do any extracurriculars outside of that, like even running a podcast, like there, there's so much involved that you have to, that you end up having to learn anyways, that specializing in, in one or two things, I don't think is, is, I don't know, a little short-sighted, maybe a little limiting because eventually you'll have to, this is something that you'll have to grow into anyway, if you want to advance into any further in, into the architecture firm, like people expect you, people expect you to be able to interact with clients. So there's a, there's some people skills involved with that. You know, if, if you want to take over your firm's digital media, then you have to have website design and social media experience coordinating with all of that. So there, there's, you can focus on one area, but I feel like as you move up within a, an office, you're, you're, you have to broaden your bases so that you can cover more of what's expected of you. Well, and I suspect that's, that's really true. I mean, I, and I can certainly see that. I, I think to hear them talk, it sounds like, because most of them are on Instagram, they, they understand all the social media platforms and stuff, but it, it almost sounds like, in the architectural program itself, they're just being bombarded with new technology and to the point that at some point they have to pull back a little bit. You know, even, even if once they get out of out of 
college and they start moving into a firm and then they start picking it up again and start learning new stuff and whatever. But it almost seems like at the moment, like they are just completely like, like they're, it's just almost overwhelming what they're expected to know technology wise. Um, and I think maybe just from an architecture program perspective, not even all the other stuff, but just from within architecture, what they're expected to know and be able to do. So, so our, our next question, I think will be more towards you, Larry, how do you think being queer impacts architecture? Gee, that's, that's a question for me, really. I, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the first session that I did on, on being queer in architecture, um, which was a lot of fun, a really great group that, that dialed into the, into the conversation. One of them asked me that question because obviously I come from a stand standpoint that there's no reason to be closeted in the profession. It just doesn't make any sense to me because there's, to me, there is too many other things that you have to worry about without suddenly now trying to censor your pronouns and try to hide your private life or try to have, you know, some sort of relationship with, you know, fellow employees, but not let them know too much and yada, yada, yada. But as far as being queer impacting architecture, I don't know that it, I, I think there's, there's, oh God, there's, there's too many answers for this. It feels like my mind goes back to, the fifties and sixties and even, you know, before then, probably even the seventies and eighties when architects to be in the profession, it was very straight male dominated. And it still is to this day, very straight male dominated, but, but in the, you know, fifties and sixties, this is something that would cost you your job that would pretty much, you know, potentially career ending impact to you. So in that sense of the, you know, for all the closeted architects who, instead of maybe being their authentic selves and bringing that into the, into the design or into the firms, perhaps instead some of these guys really excelled because it's, the, it's this idea of if I perform at my optimum, if I am the best architect I can be, if I do well, if I work hard, if I stay late, if I, I really buy into the culture of, of what architecture is, then they'll have a harder time saying no to me if it should come out that I am in fact gay. So I think in that sense, it impacts that, that maybe in a lot of ways creates sort of this overachieving personality because you want to make sure that you are validated um, and that you are seen and understood. So from that aspect, I think um, there's that one impact. The other thing, you bring yourself into everything that you do, especially now, um, especially for me, because it's, it's residential architecture. I have to find a way to connect with my clients. As a gay man, I have to find a way to connect to my clients that... I might not have to otherwise, you know, I, I don't have children. I have a husband. I don't have a wife or have, you know, or you know, really, you know what I mean? I don't have a, uh, an opposite sex uh, spouse. So when I'm trying to connect to clients, there's that sense of how do I make that connection so that the, we can 
we're sort of on a similar plane. I, 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 I'm, am I making any sense with that? Does, does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think you, you're mentioning culture of an office quite a bit too. Do do you go to work or, or, or when 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 you were working in a in a larger office? Does working in a larger office that might not share the same values? Would you keep working in that office and hope to change it from within, or how how would you go about handling something like that? Well, that is an excellent question. That's actually our last question. Yay! So wow, you actually got there. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so, so I think that's the, you know, that, that's the, well, and probably for, for students coming out of school who maybe are in a more ideal environment, um, you know, what, do you, do you go to work for a firm? You know, do, do you work for someone who, who doesn't support you, who doesn't, you know, have a policy that's a non-discrimination policy that includes sexual orientation or that maybe there are other values you have that, you would like to see an architecture, but they are strictly, you know, the firm you're going to work for is, is far from, from even approaching that. And the answer I had from, for the students at the time was it was very much when you're coming out of school, you need to be in an environment where you can learn and where you can grow and where the firm you're feeling supported by the firm. And I think to go to work for a firm that doesn't necessarily share the same values as you or maybe feel makes you feel uncomfortable being there. I don't think that is a positive way to start your career. And it's going to be certainly even more challenging to to come in as a as a you know fresh graduate into a firm and think, okay, I'm I'm going to be able to change this because they have set values and they have had set values for a long time there is that sense of culture and you and I were talking about this earlier that, that whatever the culture is really comes down from the top and that's reflected across the board and to come in at a very low level and think, well, I'm going to change that. I think that's, um, that's probably more than you're, you really should be biting off right out of school. Yeah. My, my initial impression was, was exactly the same. When I when I started working, uh, I worked for a very conservative office, and that came from the the very top. Every everybody there was in a in a similar line of thinking, and to the point where it was it, it didn't it didn't really bother me because I, I grew up in a in a culture similar to that, but at the same time. I could see where it might make some people uncomfortable. And so the tone really, to me, the, the tone that, that I saw being set was, was set from the very top. It was, it was the, if the boss was in at 7am Monday through Saturday, and that's what he expected from his people. And there was nothing that you had much of a say over unless you were sick or caring for a dying relative. So in, in, in a lot of ways, it, the, the workplace was, is kind of indifferent to the entry level people. And, and so trying to change it from within becomes a lot more difficult unless you somehow develop a lot more power 
either with a larger group of people or just start moving up in the ranks and then you're able to change it yourself. Yeah, I think that's where the 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 difference is from being that intern to being to being someone who has been in the field for maybe 10 years and has maybe grown within a practice or or you're changing from one firm to another and you have the experience that can sort of back up what you're doing and you can have a more interactive role with leadership um, talking with them really about what the culture maybe needs to change. The other thing that, that could be possible is that you are actually brought into a firm ex- expressly for that purpose, that they want to bring you in to actually help instigate that change. They, they, there's a realization at the top that, that you know, maybe we're not as diverse a firm as we need to be, or maybe there's a different attitude we need to adopt. Do we need to bring in somebody younger, someone who's been out there progressive talking about things and, at that point, having them bring you in and actually sort of instigate that change or have, you know make all that happen, that's that's possible. But but the reality is 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 you're coming out of school, and even if you're you've only been in the field a couple of, couple of years, you really want to be at some place that can nurture you. You know, there's a temptation to potentially find a job with a really well known firm, and think, oh, this is going to be really great. You know, they're they're I love the work they do. Yeah, they're not quite as progressive as I want them to be, but but I'm willing to overlook that because then I can say I worked for this firm. But I think that's almost self-defeating and can be can can really take a toll on you. I, I think you hit a, a level where you simply have to pull yourself back and say, you know what, I'm better than this, and I need to be in an environment that celebrates that. Wow. Well, I think on that uplifting note, I think uh, we're going to call it a night. No, I was going to say that, that uh, that didn't mean to sound so, so downbeat, but, but I think I do. I, I think, I think you have to, you have to really be aware of your own health, where you, wherever you're working and whatever you're doing. And yeah, may, maybe not the best note to end on, but, but I think it's, it is definitely definitely crucial so we we do appreciate everyone joining us again this this got a little bit long but but i wanted to get get these questions out there because i like i said it was it was great to hear the students talk about them and of course i've been doing this much longer than you have matthew so to get your perspective too and and i love the fact that you're willing to talk a lot more future than it seems that i am maybe that just speaks to the optimism in me i Maybe I don't. I don't know. <laughs> well, your, your spirit hasn't been crushed yet. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I, I'd like to think it hasn't, but oh, it's definitely getting. You're doing. You're doing fine. You're doing. Yeah. No. You, you are every every architecture um, employee, person, student, whatever. Um, but no, I, I like that. I like that you had a, a very forward-thinking attitude when we were talking about a lot of this. So, so gives me a different perspective to shoot from. But in the meantime, yes, we will let you guys go. As always, you can find me at Spotted Dog Arch on Instagram and Twitter, and of course, I'm also on Facebook. Or you can go to the website SpottedDogArchitecture.com, and our website is officially up and running. So, yay! Uh, Big shout out to Matthew for getting that done. I know you were up late a lot. 
Again, that just goes back to the the technology issue. <laughs> you gotta you gotta broaden your horizons horizons a little bit sometimes, and that th- that was my learning experience for the month, I guess. <laughs> so yes, please find us at architecturegeeks.com. That uh, we worked really hard on that. So go take a look and and, and let us know what you would re- what your thoughts on on some of these questions. Are you keeping up with technology? How does, what would you like to change about the future of architecture? Uh, we, we also have our, our Instagram at ArchGeeks Podcast where you can respond to this as well. So again, thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye guys.